Another day, another dollar makes you wonder where your money went. You can scream. Hi, folks. This is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. There's always one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough. Or even if they don't, dictated quite a bit differently today. We're actually using a uh, conference recording service, and this is a special day on TSP. We are going to have our first ever uh, interview uh, where we bring a guest on, and today's guest is going to be James Yeager from Tactical Response and Tactical Response Gear. Uh, good sponsor to the show. has been a supporter of us for a long time and has a lot of great insight and a lot of background we can lean on to learn more about how to defend ourselves and how to defend our homes and our families because that's what it's all really about. Um, before that, though, I would like to do a brief intro segment. I won't do my typical intro segment since this is an interview format, but I do uh, want to recognize our sponsor today, speaking of sponsors, and that's going to be Directive21.com, um, and they uh, supply Berkey uh, light water filters, and they're a new sponsor that joined us last week, so check those guys out. Like all our sponsors, they're personally vetted by myself and our moderators uh, but A lot of people seem to just sell advertising based on who will pay for it. We don't do that at TSP. If you are not a personal recommendation, you will never be on our site or mentioned on our show uh, as a sponsor. Uh, next, real quick, uh, I keep sending this out, but if you are an international listener, there's a lot of international listeners on the forum looking to connect with more of you guys. Please join the forum. That's not just for the international crowd. That's for everybody. Please get on the forum. You will uh, make some really great friends, and I promise you, you'll learn a lot, too. Um, next, Region 6 is having a get-together with Shannon Appleby uh, at the helm, putting that together. That's going to be around mid-September. There's a link in the show notes today. You can go learn more about that. And uh, last but not least, if you think you get more than 20 cents in value out of each edition of the Survival Podcast, consider joining the Supporting Members Brigade, and you'll get some exclusive members, uh, uh, exclusive benefits that are available only to members. Uh, right now, that includes a discount membership to Safe Castle LLC's Discount Club. That's a $19 value. And uh, several e-publications by James Talmadge Stevens, who is the uh, best-selling author ever in the preparedness industry, sold over three-quarters of a million copies of uh, uh, Making the Best of Basics, which is just about to come out and reprint, and he's donated some uh, stuff that he sells. Uh, so we have about $64 worth of retail value there, so that pays for your first year. And uh, that will wrap up the interest segment today. Again, I want to keep it abbreviated. I want to give our guests as much time to listen as possible. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast right after it's published, it's probably Monday, uh, August 10th. We're actually doing this on Sunday, August 9th. Uh, James has been good enough to give me time on the weekend to uh, get this thing right. And, James, thank you for being here with me on a Sunday morning. Oh, Jack, it's uh, absolutely my pleasure, and I am, I am honored to be the, the first interview on uh, the, the podcast. I really am. Well, you know how the first one is. That's usually the guinea pig. So if we mess anything <laughs> up, you'll be the one that has to deal with it. Um, but I wanted to bring you on and um, because I get a lot of questions about the tactical aspects of preparation, about firearms, about you know guns in general, about things and ways to, to improve the defense around the home. And I talk about that probably maybe once a month, and, and I dedicate most of the rest of my show to other things, mainly because there's so many other great uh, resources out there for information on firearms and guns. Um, yep. But it's a big part of what we do, and I know I've heard you on some of the other podcasts, so I thought it'd be great to bring you here because my expertise, while there's some firearms in it, is really more about preparing the home itself to be sustainable. Um, sure. And I wanted to bring in a real expert on on the tactical approaches. 
Uh, so that's why I brought you here today. And with that, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about your background uh, and, and how you ended up uh, running a company like Tactical Response. Well, I um, I started shooting uh, IPSC around 1990. I was just a, you know, I was just a kid, and uh, I wanted to, you know, I like guns, I like shooting, and that was IPSC was my first introduction into what I would like to call, you know, professional gunmen, guys that that, that took it seriously. Uh, you know, I shot as a kid, but that was my first real introduction into it. In uh, 1992, I became a police officer and I worked undercover for four years. And uh, undercover work's not like on TV. There was no red sports car, briefcase full of money. It's more like um, biker bars, trailer parks, and headlights. And uh, after after that, I got out um, in 1996, and I started doing patrol work and uh, SWAT, and eventually became a SWAT team leader and things like that. And um, and along that along the way, I'd taken a a lot of training. I was I didn't realize it, uh, <laughs> but I was a gun nut. You know, I I hadn't been. Uh, uh, doctor hadn't, uh, you know, actually, uh, you know, uh, you know, found out what affliction I'd had at that point, but, uh, uh, but, um, hadn't been, hadn't been diagnosed, and, but, uh, and in 1996, uh, Tennessee uh, got carry permits, and one of the requirements of the carry permit was to take a class, and there was nobody in the area doing classes. I started doing classes, and that quickly grew. People saying, "Hey, that was great. Can you do another day? Can we do this? Uh, you know, this other class. Can you? You know anything about rifles?" And um, in 1999, my wife came to me with our income tax stuff, and she said, "You know, you made more money with your part-time job than you did with your full-time job." And uh, I still love being a cop, and I uh, was a cop um, up until 2002, and um, just the political strife uh, got got the better of me, and I kind of gave up on it. I still, I still love law enforcement, don't get me wrong, but I just really kind of gave up on it. And um, I did some other things there, continued training, and eventually went to Iraq uh, as a civilian contractor, and I worked on the protection detail, uh, protecting the eight Iraqi election commissioners before, during, and, and after the, the first election in Iraq. And uh, I've traveled all over the world, I've taught classes on virtually every piece of dirt in the world, um, except Africa, uh, Central and South America, all over Europe, the Middle East, uh, uh, all over the place. And my passport looks like a uh, uh, list of places you would not want to take your family on vacation. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, that's pretty much it. We've been we've been trucking right along doing the training. We still travel outside the country for uh, little uh, little things every once in a while. But uh, that's, in a nutshell, that's that's me, and that's, that's how Tactical Response got started. That's awesome, and I mean, I think that what you hear in that is the, is the same thing that I hear from a lot of entrepreneurs. If you if you can run a business, you can pretty much run a business doing anything you want, but it, over time, the natural entrepreneur that doesn't start out to be one ends up in a business doing something that's absolutely the core of what they believe in and what they love. Right. Um, and when I hear you speak, and I, I can hear that in you, so I think that's, you know, when you're looking for someone as an instructor, that's what you're looking for, someone that lives what they teach. Um, yeah. and, and on that note, I think people maybe would listen to this and say, okay, well, this guy's been in law enforcement. He's been all over the world. Uh, he's been in, into Iraq when it was a complete storm at the time uh, of activity. And I'm just a guy sitting here in the middle of a suburb somewhere, and all I'm worried about is making sure I can protect my family. And I think some of those people get to the point where they, they just don't feel that maybe uh, being actually trained from a tactical standpoint is something that they need. Would you kind of speak to that and why the average guy that maybe is never going to do any of these real adventurous things needs that training as much, if not more, than maybe the law enforcement person that gets them as part of just their job? 
Well, I agree. I agree completely. There are a lot of people out there that think that. I had a conversation just yesterday mm-hmm. with a guy, and he said, "Yeah, I'm thinking about buying another gun. What do you think I should get?" And I said, "How many guns do you have?" And the guy said, "About 50." And I said, "Wow, okay. How many how many firearms training classes have you had?" He said, "Well, none." I said, "What do you think is more dangerous, a guy with one gun and 49 classes, or a guy with 50 guns?" And I think what we we tend to do that that just that guy he tends to replace his gear uh, like if I own a gun therefore I'm able to use this gun and it's sure. a lot more complicated to that than that and I would and I, I use this little um, hierarchy of survival principles just four little words but it kind of puts it in perspective for for everybody no matter what you do for a living uh, I think it should put it in perspective for you at the top is mindset. Mindset covers all the things you are as a fighter, and you know if you haven't read the book Principles of Personal Defense by Jeff Cooper, you should. But at the top is a mindset, alertness, aggressiveness, coolness under pressure, ruthless, ruthlessness when you have to, uh, you know, assertiveness. All these things that that are who you are as a protector of you and yours. Then after that is tactics. Uh, number two is tactics. So uh, tactics basically means doing things. So you get more turns to, for instance, shoot the bad guy than he gets to shoot you. Uh, after that is skill. Skill means being able to use your emergency equipment, whether that's a handgun, a fire extinguisher, or an axe. Uh, you, your, your, your proficiency using that. Do you have to be an Olympian to, to, to protect yourself? Absolutely not. But you do have to have a survival level of proficiency. And it doesn't take a lot to get there, but it does take some training to get there. And then at the bottom rung is gear, and that's all the stuff we buy. And people tend to think, well, I'm not that good of a shooter, or my, or this, this quote-unquote, this gun doesn't shoot good, so I'm going to buy another one. And we really dump so much money into the gear end of it. If we spent a little bit of money at the top training and mindset, if we spent a little bit of money at the top, it would actually decrease our overall expenditures buying all this gear at the bottom that we don't know how to use. You know, what I think of when you say that is some of the struggles that I've had with being able to train the way that I really know that I need how to train. Um, And let's say someone does invest and goes to tactical response or another um, good training outfit, maybe takes two or three courses, and they've not only trained right, but I think what's more important is they've been trained how to train. If that exactly. makes sense. And I think that's a huge thing that people miss out on. You go take a two-day course or a three-day course, you're not just training for two to three days. You're learning a skill set that teaches you how to train certain methods of movement, uh, certain methods of fire, certain methods of suppressive fire, uh, all the different things that actually happen in the real world instead of standing on a range with 100 people up and down at everybody fire and slow fire and a range officer comes up and tells you you're double, double tapping because you're firing shots at one second intervals. Um, can't move, you know, and, and there's a reason that I think a lot of these ranges have safety like that. Part of it's litigation. I mean, I'm sure that's a huge piece of it. But when it comes down to it, at some point you've got to be able to move. You've got to be able to fire at a, at a reasonable combat speed. So, so the person's taken the time. They've gone. They've gotten this training. Um, are there any outlets you can suggest for that person if they don't have a range that's accommodating to that type of training using maybe something like tactical airsoft weaponry or, I mean, 
I know that's not well, a real substitute, but there's just play, people that can't get to the place. Well, let me let me say this. Let me kind of back up just a little bit, uh, and 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 uh, modify one of your points. Not modify, but add to it. Um, training teaches you what and how to practice. Most people, as you said, when they go to the range, they're kind of a ship without a without a rudder. They're just kind of out there shooting. How the close training, can I make the group? Right. I mean, that's you know, If I can make a small group, I'm good. Right. So it teaches you what and how to practice. Um, now, let's say training for people that uh, that that don't have access to a range where they can, for instance, draw from a holster. A lot of ranges won't let you do that. The Absolutely. vast majority, the vast majority of what you need to practice is weapons handling, loading and unloading. I'm sorry, loading, reloading, malfunctions, drawing from your holster. Guess what? It's absolutely free to do that. You can do it in your own home. Do it safely. You know, there's a criteria that you know for for, for dry practice. But but 90% of what you need to know, you never have to fire a shot. One-handed manipulations, off-hand manipulations. There are so many things that you can train in your own home and never spend a penny. Um, so many things. It's, 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 it's amazing. You could become, I could literally teach somebody to be a master uh, weapon handler, master gunfighter uh, with 90% better skills than anybody out there and then never fire a shot just with dry practice stuff. Cool. Cool. And we, I mean, I know my military background, we did a ton of dry fire exercises and I do that let me, too. Let me, a little, well, let me, little tip. Let me tell you why you did that. Let me tell you why you did the dry fire exercises. It's not because the military thinks dry fire is fantastic. It's because they won't pay for bullets. And <laughs> so, so the military, the military dogma for training is tons of dry fire, tons of blanks, and then you do live fire a little bit. Well, right. we have people come to our classes. And we leave out a lot of that unnecessary stuff that was just filler for military guys, you know. Because if you're not if you're not pressing that that dry fire that rifle dry fire, then uh, then you're out picking up cigarette butts. I mean, it was basically a time filler for a lot of guys. And mm-hmm. we just take all that unnecessary stuff out and just do the necessary stuff and teach you how to do it properly. And that's why we get so much done in such a short amount of time is because we have very modern teaching principles that we use to to really you know push home the uh, the, the 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 fundamentals and you know all the techniques that we're teaching. And I'll tell you one thing I've learned from personal experience: uh, when you're doing things like magazine drops in your home and you have hard floors, uh, a dog bed is a great place for your mags to fall. Uh, <laughs> but uh, and and you don't want to miss it. Uh, but but on that, um, I know you said that you know you get people that ask you you know what gun to buy next and they've got 50 guns and and yeah. and I dealt with the same thing and said maybe you need to learn how to use the guns you have. But there are a lot of people, especially people that listen to Survival Podcast, that are kind of new to the world of firearms. Maybe they have a little bit of background. Maybe they have none. Now, if they're going to go take training, they're probably going to need to bring a sidearm with them or if they're going to take a carbine course, bring a carbine with them. So if a guy's kind of going out looking for or a lady's going out looking for that first good handgun that's going to be something they're going to go ahead and acquire their concealed carry permit, what they're going to take, their course with it's I, I'm never the guy that says buy this one gun but generally there's most people have a, a group of guns they find is, is good adequate firearms is there like a big three or a big five that you'd say these are all adequate firearms for that type of purpose for a yeah, firearm there are, several, there are several you know it's a, it's really a neat neat time to be a gun guy because 
with all the states passing carry permits, we've got more holsters and guns and you know accessories than ever before for concealed carry. So yeah, there are absolutely several brands of guns out there that that are good, um, that, that are quality firearms. Um, many companies make you know quality firearms. Uh, it's no uh, secret that I'm a Glock fan, and, and people either turn their nose up at Glocks or they already own one. It's one of the usually one of the two things. And um, so if anybody said I'm going to get a handgun, what should it be? It would be a Glock Model 19 in the story, and I don't care what your excuse for not liking it is, you're wrong. And, okay. Uh, there there are plenty of other good guns out there. Smith & Wesson M&Ps are fantastic guns. Big Solid builds fantastic gun. HK builds fantastic guns. Beretta builds fantastic guns. Uh, there's really a, just a ton of stuff out there. But in general, what I would say is you want a semi-automatic pistol. I'm not a fan of revolvers for defensive purposes. You want a semi-automatic pistol. You want one with a consistent trigger. What I mean is some, some pistols have you pull the trigger and the hammer comes back the gun goes off and then for the all the follow-up shots the hammer's already back and when you're finished shooting you have to decock or something like that mm-hmm. um i believe that's just unnecessarily complicated uh i don't like the two different triggers because if you have to make a precise shot you know your brain might not remember which trigger pull you're on so no matter what they all the companies out there make some form of consistent trigger uh with the SIG with the DAK trigger, uh, HK with the LEM trigger, Glocks, of course, with the standard trigger. Just something with a consistent trigger, something from a reputable manufacturer. And you, your caliber of choice, then, 9mm or 40 Smith? Those... Uh, 9mm. I'm not a fan of 40 or 357 SIG or 45 GAP, any of the any of the high-pressure rounds I'm not a fan of. So if you don't like 9mm, carry a 45, is my opinion. <laughs> and that happens to be what I carry. I know I've heard from you on that, that I need to get a Glock, and I probably do. Um, I guess my biggest concern with I, I'm I'm a big fan of the 1911 frame, and it's probably because I grew up shooting it. I mean, I was, I was shooting 1911s when I was nine years old. And you get to a point where the gun, it fits your hand, and you know every nuance of it, and you get kind of uh, attached to that, that comfortable uh, just – everything about it you know it, it fits you like a part of your body and uh but you know i also have a round limitation that a person with a, a glock does not so well i mean it's really it really i mean you know a 1911 a full-size 1911 holds you know seven or eight rounds or whatever in the magazine and, and uh that that's 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 enough i mean we, we you know as americans we get into these capacity you know bigger faster you know more you know, kind of mindsets, and that's not really the, the issue. In, in general, uh, my my personal opinion is, um, if you look at statistics, uh, most gunfights are over um, when the uh, bat, the sorry, the good guy has fired about eight rounds. So after eight rounds, the good guy's dead, uh, the bad guy ran away, or the bad guy's dead. So gotcha. Eight eight rounds is kind of the the line. Cool. Well, that means I don't have to get a new gun. <laughs> <laughs> I probably will anyway. Um, and I don't know. Have you seen these um, these like law enforcement refurbs of the Glock? I know you said you're not a huge fan of the 40, but I mean that's that's the the gun that these guys have, and it's about 200 off retail, completely rebuilt uh, from Glock with the warranty. Um, I just turned one of those down at a gun show and it left kicking myself. And I don't know how um, many you know. There's, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with the refurb. Matter of fact, when they refurb them, probably all they do is clean all the the donut crumbs out of them and, and put them back in a box. Uh, cops don't shoot. I'm saying that as a former police officer, so I'm no, not on any hate mail. 
you know, cops just don't shoot. So you're not going to get a gun that's wore out when you buy it from a cop. Trust me on that. Um, they don't spend that much time on the range either. No, no, no. I mean, of course, there's that one in a hundred guy like me that does wear guns out. You don't want to buy a gun from him, but yeah. <laughs> but most cops just don't. Well, the, the, the reason I don't like the high pressure rounds is, first off, they're all really expensive, and 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 some of them, especially if you're talking three fifty seven sig forty five gap, those are kind of hard to get. So if you look at it from a prepping standpoint, you're just not going to find those rounds. Nine, nine millimeter is ubiquitous. Any any country in the world, any continent. There's going to be nine millimeter ammo there. Now, if you don't travel around the world, that's not really an issue. However, nine millimeter is the, the most common caliber in this country, so I, that's why I really, that's why I really, uh, I like it. One of the reasons I really like it. Number two, uh, people talk about lethality. Um, that's that's all nonsense. I mean, people think if you, well, if I shoot them with a whatever caliber, you know, my, you know, whatever the Grand Eighty carried or whatever, that they'll disappear into a cloud of smoke and a shower of sparks. It's just not true. Um, Great. Shot placement is all that matters, and don't get me wrong, I, I don't want to carry a 22 for defense, but a 22 through the heart beats a 45 through the foot every day of the week. Absolutely. And, uh, so that, I'd that love is, to get your is, thoughts on this one thing that I've heard so much about with people that the bigger is better philosophy. I've heard a lot of people note that a lot of the military units will switch from 9mm to 45 in combat situations due to stopping power. Now, I have two theories on this. One, it's not quite as true as it's made out to be. Or two, they do it, but the primary reason they do it is in a military situation, uh, you know, 100% of the time you're carrying hardball ammunition. Uh, right. So you're, you're shooting somebody with a, with a relatively small caliber, non-expanding round from a 9mm as one effect. A good, solid, quality um, expanding round from a 9mm is a completely different effect at a self-defense range especially when you're talking home defense situations, concealed carry situations, things like that, that that point just doesn't really apply there. Did you say that's right? Or No, I agree. I mean, uh, you know, you have to – I agree with everything you said, but you have to look from a military context. A handgun is really not at the front of – I mean, most soldiers don't even get issued a handgun. Exactly. Um, it's, it's just not what they do. And um, – and, and, and the the SF guys that that I hang out with, and the the SEALs that take classes, they're all they're all gun guys, you know. For the most part, they're gun guys, just like everybody else is. And if they see a cover of a magazine with a big shiny 1911 on it, it looks kind of sexy, you know. I mean, and nobody can dispute a 1911 is a sexy pistol. Well, if that's why you're buying it, you got problems. <laughs> got you. you know, if that's why if that's why you're carrying it, you got problems. And and our our uh, special forces teams are are no different. Don't get me wrong; they have guys that can build their guns that work. Um, but um, you have to, you have to. It all boils down to why are you carrying that pistol? And um, you know, a lot of people hate the, the Berettas that is issued by the military, but you know, they're boring and they're clunky, but they work. You know, they work real well. Yeah. So I mean, uh, it's it's really a the, the military is not like is not unlike any of us. We all want that new shiny thing. Sure. And they want something that works and works every time. And you pull the trigger and it goes bang and it sends around rounds downrange and it makes bad guys dead. And that's yeah, that's their criteria, which I think civilians can learn from that. Yeah, I'll tell you that there's not that many military guys carrying 1911s anymore. It's just yeah, that is the layer thing. They're they're carrying uh, they're carrying the issued pistols or they're carrying Glocks, mostly Glocks if it's not the issued pistol. Or there's a few guys with 1911s, and I mean a handful. And I'll tell you, James, I've spent quite a bit of time talking to guys that are. Uh, 
members of the, the former Soviet military. Uh, one's a guy that I do some consulting for uh, from a marketing standpoint who was uh, in the KGB back before the Soviet breakup. And he said that pretty much the same philosophy that we have of 9mm is why the Soviets went with it as well, uh, universal availability, and it's a much easier weapon to train somebody to shoot well. And they believe in simplicity. Like we, in the space race, we needed a pen that would write in outer space. So, you know, Americans spent millions and millions of dollars to develop a pen that would write in zero gravity, and the Russians used a pencil. <laughs> I mean, and, you know... And, I had to under, had to you know decipher that through broken Russian slash English slash Ukrainian from this guy, but you know it made a lot of sense to me. Now we talked a lot about handguns, but you also offer courses on on fighting rifle, uh, fighting shotgun. What are your yeah. thoughts on those? Is you know you obviously you're not going to walk around with a tactical shotgun on your back in day to day work, going to work, going oh, to. You're not supposed to do that. Oh, okay. No, no. Right. <laughs> they get upset when you do that. But for for home defense. Would you? How do you feel about those weapons as a home defense weapon compared to maybe a sidearm? Well, let me let me say this. Uh, a lot of times, I, I get calls constantly, emails constantly. Hey, I'm thinking about buying my first gun. What should it be? You know, I'm looking at this gun or that gun. You know, this Glock or Smith and Wesson or whatever. And I, and I always ask a question: um, What are you going to do with it? And most often, the response is home defense. Well, I'm not recommending a handgun for home defense. Handguns are used to make people leave you alone. Have no no delusions of grandeur. When you shoot somebody with a handgun, they're going to say, ow, stop doing that. I don't care what caliber handgun it is. Um, and, and they're going to leave. People shot with handguns typically leave. Uh, the vast majority of handgun wounds are not lethal. Um, shotguns and rifles kill people. And when they come into your home, you don't want to talk with them. You don't want to argue with them. There's, there's no debating. You want them to be to be dead, and I'm talking about, of course, legally under the requirements sure. of the laws in your in your, in your area. But Which is pretty don't want it. pretty lenient here in Texas. Yeah, oh, oh yeah, Texas. <laughs> you, guys, you guys can shoot people if, if it's after dark there. What is up yeah. with that? <laughs> but yeah. uh, anyway, you want you want you want to uh, you, you want to end the, you want to end it quickly. And so I recommend a long gun for home defense. And I typically get these ladies that call me and say, hey. My husband told me he was going to buy me a revolver. And what's funny, women should be insulted by that because their husband's bought him a revolver because he thinks they're stupid. And I tell the husbands, listen, you're buying your, your woman a revolver because you don't think she can operate, for instance, a Glock pistol. Uh, yeah, it's got too many buttons on it. Well, no, it doesn't. But let me tell you this. Your wife can drive a car. It's got a gas pedal, a brake pedal, steering wheel, blinkers, gear shifter, uh, headlights, radio. Uh, she can do all that while she is talking on the phone, putting on makeup. And yeah. you're telling me she can't operate a pistol? You know, it's, 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 you know, men just hamstring their wives. So I'm sorry I went the long way around to answer your question, but short answer is home defense should be a shotgun or a rifle. <laughs> and, and in between the two, what would you prefer, um, if either? Uh, you know, I don't really get that particular with it, uh, but they both have their advantages. But but nothing 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 we can shoot off our shoulder uh, is uh, is effective as a shotgun. So great. Um, I have a shotgun beside my bed, and it's loaded with buckshot, and uh, that's what I shoot people with if they come into my house. Got a light on it, and I can see who I'm shooting, and, and I'll and I'll shoot anybody I need to shoot. Um, I recommend for women a youth model. 20 gauge 
uh, is, which is like a perfect size for, for women, and it doesn't kick hard, and, and it's very effective. And I've had a student that uh, that shot, uh, there was a, she had a, a girlfriend over at her house that had been uh, beaten by her husband and was getting a divorce, and uh, the husband showed up um, with the intent to do harm to his wife, and she shot him through and through with a 20-gauge slug, and uh, he's not bothering anybody anymore. Uh, yeah, I would not want to be on the end of it, and I, I know that... It's along with what you said earlier. In America, we get bigger, better, badder, faster. That's our mentality, and uh, you know we look at the twenty gauge as something diminutive compared to the twelve. And I'll tell you what, I don't want to be on the receiving end of even birdshot at ten feet from a twenty gauge, let alone slugs or number four buck or something. Right. Like that. I mean, if, if, if you look at it, we, we want it, we in a defensive situation. You might have to shoot multiple assailants multiple times. I can show you a lot of men, big, strong men, that can shoot a 12-gauge wonderfully. They're fantastic. What I cannot show you is that same guy that is not better with a 20-gauge, faster, you know, uh, put more rounds in more places. So if you're, if you're good with a 12, you're awesome with a 20. And the worst you know, case scenario, that, go ahead. Go ahead. No, please. No, I was going to say, that's, that that's led me to I've I've got a uh, a couple youth model eight seventies and I've mm-hmm. taken one of them and all I've done is replace the stock on it so that it's mm-hmm. not that very very short youth stock and mm-hmm. to me that's a, that's my primary defensive shotgun because yes, it is so easy to shoot and it is so easy to move around the house and I've said this before and I've gotten some flack from some of my own listeners on this one you tell me what you think of it and you can say whatever you want I'm not going to get upset or nothing but I've <laughs> actually said that I think people that keep a shotgun for home defense are better served by a 20-gauge or a 12-gauge, I don't care, either one, get the youth model barrel for it, um, put it on there with whatever choke you want on it. I, I, I'd say as open as possible, but I don't think it's as important as people make it out to be. Right. But make it look like something you could take out, throw in your truck, and go dove hunting with. And the only reason I say that is because if I can just see a, a, you know, a prosecutor with a heart on that wants to go after somebody for guns that has that issue, standing in front of a jury with a chrome-plated black Mossberg, right, with extended magazine tubes and heat shields and everything, and, and, and holding that gun up and using the very nature of that firearm as part of his prosecution, where mm-hmm. the guy that picks up his 870 and shoots the burglar says, I'm just glad I had a gun to defend my family with. Well, I I agree. But let's uh, let me let me say this. Problem one is saving your life. Problem two is everything else. And right. a lot of people tend to think about problem two when they should be thinking about problem one. So I just want to say that. Fair and, enough. Uh, I, I wouldn't have a bayonet and all that stuff on my gun. I wouldn't have you know kill them all that God sort them out etched into the barrel. Uh, certainly anything like that uh, is not good. However, my shotgun is black, and. Um, and it looks, you know, whatever. It looks, you know, I've got a sling on it, and I've got a light on it. I think if you can justify the things that are on your gun, it's not as big of an issue. For instance, I have a light on my gun, and it looks, you know, kind of tactical. But, uh, you know, I can That see, would be a better defense, though. I was sure of my target, and I made sure yeah. of that before I used it. Right, exactly. Got so you. Is, if, you're, if you're putting useful things on there that will actually improve your ability to identify and uh, and take care of your problem... That's one thing, but uh, but yeah, if you just just like for instance, heat shields. They 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 look awesome. I think they look absolutely fantastic on a shotgun. No real practical use for that, 
and it does make it look kind of scary. So if I had the choice, if I was building a shotgun and I had the choice between a heat shield and not a heat shield, I'd probably leave it off. I don't have any on my guns. I'd probably leave it off because I wouldn't want them to hold it up in court and say, look at this thing. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, I think there's a balance between worrying about court and, and being realistic. And I think you you really have to think, when you when you build your gun or have your gun, you need to think about a prosecutor holding that thing up in front of a jury. What are they going to say when they see this thing? Uh, I think yeah. that does that does play an important role in it. Yeah, that's what I because I've seen an actual case where it happened. And to, to be fair, this guy had you know just a slicked out one of these uh, you know extended mag uh, had a bayonet lug on it. And of course, even though he didn't use the bayonet uh, in any way, shape, or form, it wasn't even near the weapon when he when it was deployed. The prosecutor locked the bayonet on the weapon in front of the jury, to, to you right. know, with that that distinctive sound that a bayonet makes locking in, to kind of sure. just reinforce that this guy was like some kind of militant nut that was living for the day, and I think it's exactly the way he put it. And ever since I've seen that, I've at least been a little bit concerned about that. You know, I hope that I guy, never have to worry about it. That guy should have hired me as an expert witness because <laughs> I've got something for DAs that do stuff like that. But um, um, you know. Anything can be villainized, and so what I want, you know, I don't want people going to the other extreme either. For instance, you know, people could say, "Well, I'm going to carry, you know, a revolver," because I don't want people saying I'm carrying this military-style pistol. Well, Absolutely. anything, anything could be villainized. You could be in court, and they can say, "Hey, Mr. Smith." So, if you ever watched Dirty Harry, if you ever watched, you know, westerns, if you ever watched, you know, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, or whatever the sure. case may be, and oh, so you think you're a cowboy, you know, even though. The department, the police department, where you live, issues a semi-automatic pistol. You are carrying a revolver. Um, anything can be painted uh, with, with a dark shadow. Anything. And so, problem one, saving your life. Problem two is everything else. Just be smart when you make your decisions. Very good, very good, James. It's a great way to look at that. And uh, I think we're getting close to wrapping this up here. What I'd like to do for you, though, is do you want to tell folks about? Um, how they can get training from you, how they can uh, do business with you, and maybe some of the things that you have available. Excellent. Well, I'll start out by saying we are in the renaissance period of firearms training. If, when, when people look back, when history looks back at this time frame, it's, it's, I'm telling you there's a lot of wonderful things going on in the firearms training industry. You can't throw a rock without hitting a firearms instructor nowadays, and I think it's fantastic. So the first thing I'll say is if you want to train with me and you look on the schedule and we don't have any classes near you or anything like that, Send me an email, and I will refer you to somebody in your area. There's a lot of good guys out there doing a lot of good stuff. If you want to find out more about my classes, tacticalresponse.com has our schedule. I'll be coming out with the 2010 schedule shortly, uh, but we train all over the country and all over the world, Canada, and, and all over the place. So anybody that would uh, would like to jump in a class, you certainly can. If somebody's in a country that we don't have a class in, if you want to shoot me an email, we can try to set a class up there. Uh, we also have a gear company, and we are a proud supporter of the Survival Podcast, so Tactical Response Gear, where we have all kinds of stuff. And my training videos, if you liked any of this gibberish I was spouting off today, we've got uh, several training videos, pistol and rifle, and you know we've got a shotgun coming out pretty soon. But uh, uh, if we could ever be of any assistance to anybody, just let us know, and uh, we really appreciate being a part of the uh, Survival Podcast family. Well, thanks, and we appreciate your support. and. You were one of the first that stepped up and said you support the show, so I thank you for that. And what I'll do for the listeners is some of the DVDs that James mentions in, in the show notes today, I'll publish direct links to those so you can get directly to them and find them. And I'll tell you, they absolutely are first-class uh, instruction. 
And uh, with that, we'll wrap it up. And again, thanks, James, for being on the show today. And, and to everyone out there, remember to, uh, to tune in regularly to the show. And we'll keep doing everything that we can here to help you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or you even if they don't. You off. can holler, it really doesn't matter, cause it all gets spent.